0: Turn in your Bibles this evening to Psalms chapter number 62, (laughs) Psalms chapter 62. I have a simple message tonight on my heart, but I want to share it with you. And uh, man, I'm thankful to get to be here this evening. I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful that He never changes. Amen. Amen. I'm glad we can count on Him. Amen. We can count on Him. Uh, He's He never changes. Uh, There at the close of the Old Testament... Uh, before there would be 400 years of silence. He didn't want anyone wondering, so he just closed her out by saying, I am the Lord God, I change not. He wanted them to know that he was going to be the, the same God when he robed himself in flesh and walked amongst men that he had been all throughout the Old Testament. I'm thankful he never changes, amen. I'm thankful we can count on that in a changing world that we have a God that never changes. Psalms chapter 62, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read the entirety of this psalm, only 12 verses, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. The Bible says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Say lie. My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock, my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation. And my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Surely men are of low degree, of men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for an inspired, infallible, preserved, inerrant book that we can come to and approach with confidence knowing that we're not hearing the words and opinions of men, but we're hearing the very words of God. Help us to, as we approach your word, to take great comfort, great confidence, great encouragement in the truth of it tonight. And may we set our affection and set our eyes upon you. Lord, may our hearts be calmed and comforted. And may we steal our gaze and set our face like a flint, Lord, not towards Calvary. You did that for us. But towards the day of your appearing, we'll be sure to thank you for what takes place. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've done and will do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice the frame of mind of the psalmist in Psalms, chapter number 62. This is a psalm of David. Though we do not know what season of life David was in, we can get a little bit of an idea of some of the things that he was struggling with. When we come to this passage, we'll notice that the psalmist is troubled by the world around him. He's worshiping God, but it seems as though the troubles of the world around him seem to be intruding into this moment of worship. How many of you have ever experienced that, man? You're trying to get your mind on God, but the troubles of this world just keep sort of barging through the door of your mind and seeking to gain dominion. Over your thoughts. And the psalmist, he's troubled by the world around him. Verses 3 and 4, he's troubled by the enmity or the hostility of the world. He says this, how long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. He says this about man's uh, defiance of God. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly, say, law. The psalmist is troubled because he finds that because he stands for God, all around him, his neighbors stand against him. I'm struck by the fact that one day there ain't going to be no more fussing and fighting. Hey, man, there ain't going to be no no social media in the new Jerusalem. Because ain't nobody going to have nothing to argue about. And there wouldn't be no use for it. Amen. Because it seems like society has devolved into a constant state of noise. I think that part of the reason for this is mankind trying to drown out the voice of a broken conscience. But certainly it it just gets weary all of of the uh, combatant open enmity and hostility in the world around us today. And you will find it to be Paul used this terminology about some men and their attitude towards the things of God he he talked about being delivered from unreasonable men and you'll find that if you stand for Jesus Christ men's animosity and enmity with you will be unreasonable you say well preacher sometimes it feels like they're picking on me they might be preacher sometimes it feels like they just have a problem with the fact that I'm a Christian they probably do Preacher, sometimes it just feels like because I take a stand for the Lord, they're out to get me. That very well could be the case. And if you're not careful, you will allow living constantly behind enemy lines, spiritually speaking, to be a demoralizing and defeating thing in your life. The psalmist is certainly struggling with the enmity of the world. Then down in verse 9, he makes a beautiful statement. I love this. It's so succinct and so insightful. It says, surely men of low degree are vanity, emptiness. Is what he says. He looks at the lowest of the low in society, morally speaking. And he says, I find them to be empty and meaningless. They've got nothing in life. You know, that's true. You can walk up and down the streets and, and, and you, can, you can see people just wandering in a stupor and a fog who have nothing in their life. Now, you say, Preacher, are, are, listen, are you, uh, are you making fun? Preacher, are you, are you criticizing their poverty? No. In fact, oftentimes the poverty they're experiencing, and I'm not equating riches with righteousness, but often the life they're living is symptomatic of an emptiness that's within. And they find themselves to just be creatures of chaos, beholden to depression, disheartened, discouragement, defeat. Uh, because they're empty within. Now you say, well, preacher, are you telling me that men with great wealth and riches, men with the world's, uh, you know, uh, attention, that those are great men? No, the psalmist says this, men of high degree are a lie. Hey, listen, man, the only difference between that crowd at these Hollywood award shows and these people walking up down the street is the money in their bank account. And that money ain't even real. I mean, there ain't nothing. It's just, it's a lie. It's, it's all just meaningless. And I, one of the great disturbing things is to wake up one day, spiritually speaking, look around and realize just how much under the sway this world is to the lies of the devil and to a broken, meaningless, and inverted value system. The psalmist says they're going to be laid in the balances. And he says they're altogether lighter then vanity. Here's what he's troubled by. Not only the enmity of the world, he's troubled by the emptiness of the world. He is bothered as he looks around and sees a world that is drunk on vanity. A world that is addicted to their own lies and to their own deceits. Man, he's bothered by. it. Then look at verse number 10. He says this. Trust not in oppression. Now, we might struggle to understand what he means when he says that. Why would a person trust in oppression? But he's not speaking of trusting in oppression uh, as an experience, but rather as a resource or tactic. Because he says in the next phrase, become not vain in robbery. Let me just pause and, and say this. The thief winds up with less than what he had in the beginning when he steals. He has less than what he had in the beginning when he's stolen something. He becomes vain in robbery. He may have a material item, but he's lost something of himself in the process. then he says this, if riches increase, now we're starting to understand. He says, set not your heart upon. He's examining a broken and wicked world. And he's saying, why do men live this way? Why do they behave this way? Well, the reason is because they have found it to be a step ladder to what the world would call success. And he looks around and and he's experiencing his own disoriented state. And he's looking at these men and the emptiness of their lives. But he's seeing they've been advanced through society. And that means, and he feels a little tug at his heartstring. A little temptation to want to engage and just pour it into that whole system. And here's what he's bothered by. He's bothered by the enticements of the world. I hmm, I want to be careful of how I'm about to say what I'm about to say. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And what I'm preaching on tonight is not locking yourself away in some, you know, monastery somewhere. I, listen, I, I'm not saying go uh, throw away your cell phone and buy chickens and pretend like the world ain't around and wait for the, the fallout to happen. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. I get the sense the psalmist, he's being tempted to check into the system to play along with the world's rules, to, to value the things the world values, to discard the things the world discards, and he recognizes that his flesh is enticed to do that very thing. He's troubled about some things with the world around him. But notice this, verses 11 and 12, he is confident, however, in two great truths. The first is found in verse 11. Now, this is a man looking at a broken world, at a world that is cast off, it seems to be, uh, the authority of God. And he says this in verse 11, God hath spoken once. Then he says this, twice have I heard this. Now, what's he about to describe this truth? That power belongeth unto God. That's a fascinating verse. Twice it hath been said. Twice he's heard this. We know where he heard it the first time. The word of God says plainly that God is powerful in all that he does. Why does he say twice have I heard this? Because he's seen and heard the voice of experience declare this to be true. Can I tell you something? You don't have to accept what I'm about to say. The Word of God is undoubtedly our absolute authority. And anecdotal experiential evidence is not really evidence at all. But if you'll take this poor preacher's testimony for just a moment, can I tell you, I've seen God work. I know God's powerful. I've seen God reach into this dimension and change things that human ability, human intuition, and human wisdom had no ability or capacity to transform and to change. Hey, the once that God said it would be enough, but I have heard the echo of experience and life bear testimony to this great truth. He recognizes this. It may look like the world has all the power, but in fact, God is powerful In his works. There's a second great truth that he reveals. Verse number 12. He says, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. Why would he say this? Because he looks at a wicked world around him that if he had his way, he would smite all of them right off the face of. I get where he's coming from. I've had days, man, you better be glad I didn't have the power. (sighs) I've had days I've woke up, man, I mean, it would have been fire and brimstone everywhere. But I'm glad the Lord, he's more steady than I am. He's more measured than I am. And so he says this, he's trying to understand the world around him. And he says, Lord, unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. But then he categorizes that by saying this, for thou renderest to every man according to his work like two separate sides of weights. He says, God is a merciful God. And that's probably why we're seeing the long-sufferingness of the Lord in society. But don't think for one moment that anybody has gotten away with nothing. One of the disheartening things about society is they don't even try to pretend anymore like they ain't getting away with. They used to at least have the decency to tell us that somebody was going to have to pay for it all. They don't even try that anymore. It's not even a, yeah, I guess we'll do an investigation. You know, they don't even care anymore. Doesn't even matter. You know, they act like they got no elections to win anymore. And they just, they, they. I mean, it's unreal. But can I tell you this? Hey, ain't none of them got away with nothing. Mm, I need that. Ain't none of them got away with nothing. God has made a record of every lie told. Of every uh, uh, of uh, of every ounce stole, God has made a record of every single bit of it. Bank on it. One of these days, God is going to bring a reckoning, and He takes great comfort in this truth. So here are the two truths that He is confident in: one, that God is powerful in His works. If God's not working, it's not because God's not able; it's that God has a plan, and He can trust that plan. Because God is perfect in all of His ways. In light of the world's wickedness and God's power and providence, the psalmist does something interesting in verse number 5. He's actually already mentioned this a little earlier in verse number 2. But I want you to notice a phrase that the psalmist uses. He says this. We'll go back. We'll look at it in verse number 2. Excuse me, verses 6 and verse 2. Look at them. They're almost identical. He says this, he, talking about God, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. To drive the point home, he says it again. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved told you a moment ago, there's a great temptation to check in to this world system. I want to be very clear again in what I'm about to say. I'm not advocating that we go hide ourselves away somewhere in a bunker. I don't believe that would please the Lord. I wish it did, because I'd love to do it. But I don't believe it pleases the Lord. But I will tell you this. You're either going to check into this world system, or you're going to check out of this world system. I don't know if I can really make you understand what I'm saying here tonight. I'm not saying don't have an opinion about some politician. I'm not saying don't have uh, hopes in some degree that maybe one of them will occasionally get something right that might help somebody somewhere at some time. Even a broke clock's right twice a day. But one of the great mistakes of the people of God is we have checked into this world system of believing that in some way It will have our interests and our well-being at its heart. Psalmist, man, he looks around and he says, this I know, this world is broken. It's messed up. It ain't getting better. It's only getting worse. And by the way, it's gotten a lot worse since he penned these words. And he says, I know God's powerful. I know God can work. And I know God's perfect in everything that He does. So the psalmist says, here's what I'm doing. He casts aside his hopes and trust in this world and trusts fully and only in God. He says, it's not going to be Him and something else. It's not going to be Him and a king. It's not going to be Him and some sort of religious system. It's not going to be Him and my neighbors. He says, He only is my salvation. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. He only. I'm going to save you some time. You can count on God, but pretty much not anything else. I'm going to tell you, He'll never disappoint you. I'm going to tell you He's a faithful God tonight. That's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that the sooner you recognize that He and He, hey, my help cometh from the Lord, the sooner you realize to look up and lift your eyes unto the hills from whence your help cometh, the more peace of mind you're going to have, the more peace of heart you're going to have, the less time you're going to waste, the more productive you're going to be, the better your frame of mind is going to be. I'm trying to get you to unhook from this world system and to cast yourself on Him and Him alone. The psalmist in this passage gives us four reasons or four aspects as to how and why he's trusting in the Lord and Him alone. Notice them with me very quickly tonight and we'll be done. Verse 5, he says this, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Here's the first reason. He says, I'm trusting in Him and Him only, because He is my Redeemer. Can I tell you something? There is not going to be some magic politician pop up and fix your problems. There is not going to be some great friend show up and straighten everything out. I People love you. I trust that they do. I love you. I'd do anything in the world for you. I, I have found it to be one of the difficult things in pastoring to call people that are struggling, going through hard trials and and and, and, and deep valleys. And have to say that same old ward out thing that we all say, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Knowing very often, good and well, that we are impotent to be able to fix the things that they're struggling with. Can I tell you something? The sooner that you just go ahead and look to and trust in the Lord to be your help, the better off you're going to be. Let me qualify what I'm saying here with this simple statement. God works and uses many things. But until you begin to look to Him to be your help, you're not going to have the encouragement and, the, and the, the steadiness of heart that you need. Notice two things about his trust in his Redeemer. Notice number one, he's trusting in him exclusively. He says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. In other words, quit thinking there's going to be some great grand deliverance show up around the corner. Instead, look to him as your help and as your hope. I don't know when the rapture of the church will be. It could be at any moment. That's what the Bible teaches. But it being at any moment means it could be at any moment. It could be in the next two years. It could be 2,000 more years. I don't know. You don't know. Anybody says they do know has lied to you. They don't know. The fact of the matter is we do not know when it's going to come. I can look at the seasons. I can look at the symptoms of this world and, and I'm of the same opinion that you are. It's hard to imagine how it could go on much longer without the Lord coming back. I also recognize the people of God have really been saying that for quite a while now looking at the wickedness and brokenness of society. But I do understand this to be true in my life that the more that I'm looking to external sources of failure, external, uh, ex- external examples of disappointment. Uh, let me tell you something. This world, mm, This world is going to fail you. Its systems will fail you. You cannot trust in it. You cannot depend in it. And we're shame on us for just now as a generation of people waking up to this truth. Somehow, listen, I praise God for the country that we've had. What a blessing. God has blessed us with such a wonderful country that it became a source of apathy in some ways. It became a source of idolatry in some ways. And we just got used to this notion that we could depend on society and the world around us to protect us, to defend us. But I'm here to tell you, it has never been the case we thought it was the case but we're beginning to learn now that it never was the case and listen I I feel for a lost person because they don't have nothing to lean on but you child of God and me child of God we're not hey we're not in a bad situation we've got an eternally faithful impeccably immaculate perfect God that can protect us and watch over us so here's what he says he says I'm done trusting in other things I'm done looking to other things. I'm done, I'm done anticipating help coming from other ways. He said, instead, I'm going to wait only upon God. He's waiting exclusively. Number two, he's waiting expectantly. I like this, for my expectation is from him. He says, what I'm hoping for is him. It's interesting he doesn't define. He doesn't say my deliverance is from him, although he could have. He doesn't say my redemption is from him, although he could have. He said, my expectation, he said, what I am waiting for and who I am waiting on is God and him alone. I'm not waiting on anyone else to wake up and shape up and do right. He said, instead, I've learned to put all of my hope, all of my expectation in him, knowing that he is perfect in all he does and that he is immaculately, spotlessly faithful in his character and disposition. It would be very easy to construe what I'm preaching tonight. When I say checking out, as given up, and i 'm not telling you to give up i'm not saying quit reaching lost people i 'm not saying uh, unplug from from yeah, social interaction, but I am telling you tonight to quit expecting and waiting for something in or something of the world system to come and give meaning and and and, and measure to your life it 's not going to happen. You're going to have to look to the Lord and to Him alone. And you and I, as as children of God, we've got to learn. Hey, listen, it may be painfully so. We've got to learn that He and He alone is the one that we can depend upon. And that does not rob us of ambition. It does not rob us of diligence and devotion. But rather, it safeguards those very things. I can't tell you the numbers of people I've known in my life whose commitment to the Lord was utterly fried because they put their faith in human instrumentality. They trusted in a person. And I'll tell you something that you can always depend on about people. They're always undependable. You want to know the most consistent thing about human beings? It's their inconsistency. And I can't tell you the numbers of times, and you've known people like this, I don't doubt if you've been saved any number of years. that was in church serving the Lord. Some preacher stepped out on his family. Uh, Some preacher embezzled some money. Uh, Hey, some Sunday school teacher uh, went wild and, and, and got messed up. And they because they had put their hope in that person, it crippled their walk with the Lord. Now, there's no excuse for them on that part. They ought to be mature enough to pick up, get their eyes on Jesus and go on. But I am recognizing this truth that insulates us from that danger when we learn to really only expect God to be God. If you'll quit expect politicians to be God, you won't be disappointed. If you'll quit expecting human beings to be God, you won't be disappointed. If you'll quit expecting whoever it might be in your life and just only expect God to be God, you'll never be disappointed because there's never been a day he's woke up and not been God. So I see this, hey, listen, he's my He's my redeemer. The psalmist says, and then verse 6 says this, He only, He only, man, not, not He mostly, not He sorta, not He supplementally. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. Now, you probably noticed immediately that there are some phrases that are repeated over and over. And so I'm not going to touch on every one in every point, but I will just notice two things here, and let me just put it, Under a header this way, he's not only my redeemer, he's my rock. He's my rock. What does that mean? Well, number one, he's my foundation. That's what it means when it talks about him being a rock. My kids, they've, they've gotten really into this whole idea of rock collecting. And, uh, that's fine. I don't mind. We got a lot of gravel in the driveway and you'd be amazed the things we found. I mean, it's unreal. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, they, they found all kinds of things, volcanic meteors, crystals, all kinds of things. And don't you dare tell them otherwise. Found all kinds, just expensive, just unreal types of rocks. They've got into rock collecting. But you know, the, the rocks, it's not, it's not rocks like you'd collect and stick. It. That's not what the psalmist is talking about. What he's talking about is a foundation rock upon which a structure could be built. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And then it, it, it is reaffirmed in the New Testament. He is the chief cornerstone he's also the head of the corner by the way so look out but he is the chief cornerstone what was the chief cornerstone it was the first stone laid and it had to be straight and true and 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 positioned perfectly that the rest of the house might be put in a right order by the way why is Israel in, in such a sad shape today well because they rejected the chief cornerstone didn't have to go that way they could have received him and uh, there was a lot that was crooked about the nation, but that chief cornerstone, he would have put a plumb line out and he would have said everything right, but they rejected him. So now here's what he is. Now he's the head of the corner. He's coming back one day and everybody that's not broken on that rock is going to be ground to powder by that rock. So here's what he is. He's the foundation of life. If you will learn to make God the foundation of everything, of who you are, of your identity, of your actions, of your investments... Then you will have put yourself on firm footing. One of the disheartening things that we've learned in our society is just how much has been fake. We thought for a long time things like like uh, like money were real. I'm serious, man. I mean, I let me tell you something, and I'm not talking about something that lived in some fairy tale. I mean, I'm talking about growing me growing up, and I'm young. Me growing up, it was a truism of life that you saved money, put it back in savings. That is a wise thing to do. If you put it in savings, it's safe. Nobody can get to it. Then all of a sudden, the government come along, stole about 25% of it with it never even leaving our bank accounts. Preacher, how they steal it? They stole it through your loaf of bread. They stole it through your eggs. They stole it through your milk. That's how they stole it. They came along and inflated away a quarter of what you had set back and saved. And, you know, we could give example after example after example. There was a time we believed in personal property rights in this country. And, and in most Western democracies, they believed in personal property. That was like, like a like a principle, right? Until all of a sudden a bunch of, a bunch of Canadians get angry because their tyrant up there uh, is trying to shoot them full of a bunch of experimental stuff and they try to shut down uh, their country. And then all of a sudden they're stealing people's bank accounts. And you think they won't do it to you? You're naive if you think they won't do it to you? We're five, ten years away from them doing that to you. Hey, listen, hey, you said an ugly thing on social media. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that credit card's cut off. Hey, listen, you got a wrong opinion. Hey, you wrote, you voted for the wrong side. We're going, we're going to just go ahead and take that money out of your bank account. You're probably funding right wing terrorists. We thought we had something stable. I guess it's been gone for a long time. And I grieve. But there's some good come of it. Because we Christians, we had drove our tent stakes far too deeply. We've got to recognize, hey, if we're building on that, we're building on shifting sand. We've got to build with Him as our foundation. That doesn't mean, well, if you get enough, you know, goats and chickens and solar panels and water systems, you'll be safe. Uh, Truth is, uh, and it's always funny to me. uh, And by the way, I'm not against any of them things. You got chickens, bring me some eggs. I'm about to go broke trying to buy them. I'm not against that, and, I, and I'm not trying to be too too cute in the way that I say it. But I am telling you this. You think they won't take that from you? <laughs> you think they won't take that from you? You think they won't just... I mean, if we get to that point, you think they won't just show up at your door and say, sorry, we're confiscating your chickens. Yeah. Hey, hey, some of y'all from some of them blue states. Can you own chickens? Most of them you can. not You think they won't just show up and take them from you anyway? So preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying, if your mentality is, I can become so self-reliant, then you're not, listen, you're not, mm, you've just switched one master for another. The truth is, you'll fail you, just like they'll fail you. So here's what you have to do. And I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm not saying don't be a good steward. I'm not saying don't be ready. I'm not saying if you got chickens, don't bring me eggs, because I want you to. I'm just simply saying, He's got to be your foundation. He's my foundation. Preacher, they ain't going to come take all this from me. Yeah, they will. (laughs) You say, well, preacher, I'll defend myself. (laughs) Every once in a while, they let something slip, right? I'll never forget. I don't know, last year or something, Joe Biden, he was talking about taking everybody's guns away. Because that's all they want to talk about, is taking everybody's guns away. I'm not even convinced they want to take everybody's guns away. Because the truth of the matter is, they've had the, the, it's like Republicans with abortion. How many times have they had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and had the majority on the Supreme Court and still did nothing about it? And finally, thank God they overturned Roe v. Wade, but I mean that, you know, they'll reinstitute that first chance that they get. Democrats, that talk all the time about, you know, we're gonna take your guns away, but I mean, you know, they, I don't know how interested they are in that. All their go- bodyguards got guns, so they ain't got no real problem with it. But Joe Biden said something a couple years ago, it was enlightening. He said, uh, he said, I don't know why you want, you know, an AK, Uh, and he said some kind of goobly gawk. I mean, it wasn't even like real, uh, it wasn't real words. He isn't talking real words. But something along the lines of, you know, you want your, you know, AK-47, you know, everything. He he said, you think you're going to take on the government with that? Uh, He said, that won't mean nothing when F-15 fighter jet comes in. And I thought, my soul, they're ready to bomb us. (laughs) That's what his mind goes to. His mind goes to, you have an AK-47, we will bomb you with a fighter jet. That's scary, man. I mean, listen, I've heard of overreactions, but that's terrifying. (laughs) Oh, preacher, I'm going to defend myself. Well, listen, take all reasonable measures to be able to protect the sanctity of your life and the people you love. I support that. But I'm just telling you this, at the end of the day, it's not within us to be able to protect us. Notice what the psalmist says. He says this, he's my defense. He's not just my foundation, he's my fortification. (laughs) Listen, if I'm buried with my boots off, it'll be by the mercy of God. It won't be because I've just done such a great job of defending me and mine. It'll be by the mercy and grace of God. It'll be by his providence. It'll be by his protection that I do so. And the sooner we recognize that man, the better we're off. Hey, listen, he's my redeemer. He's my rock. But then notice verse number seven. I like this. He says this in God is my salvation. I don't know how it could be any clearer. He doesn't say in works is my salvation or in church is my salvation or in, in religion is my, sal-. he says in God is my salvation. Then he says this and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge (laughs) is in God. I like that phrase, glory. He's my glory. Let me say it this way. He's not just my redeemer and my rock. He's my rejoicing. He's my rejoicing. He's what gives me joy. He's the glory of my life. Let me say it this way. He's my salvation when I need delivered. That's what he says. In God is my salvation. Him and Him alone, but He is enough and I can trust in Him. He's my salvation when I need delivered. Not only that, He's my song when I'm discouraged. He calls Him His glory. You know what it means, glory, right? To heap praise and admiration and accolation upon something. And I would say this, that He is the joy of my life. Preacher, don't you love your wife (laughs) more than I can even describe? Preacher, don't you love your kids? Most of the time. But can I tell you who made all that possible? I'm one of them, hey, I'm one of them slaves in the Old Testament, wouldn't have gone nowhere. I've been walking around with the hole in my ear. Because my master, he gave me everything. And even if I could go out free, I wouldn't want to. Because everything that I have, I owe to him. He's my everything, man. He's my salvation when I need delivered. He's my song when I'm discouraged. Not only that, He's my strength when I'm depleted. He says this, the rock. He's already been called the rock, right? He's my rock. But now He says this, He's the rock of my strength. In other words, when I'm weak, when I'm weary, I get weary sometimes. I wish I didn't. And I'm not asking, I'm not looking for anybody's pity. I'm just being honest with you. I get weary sometimes. And and I'm sure you do more and work harder and go longer than I do. I'm not saying you don't. I'm sure that's true. I, I'm, I'm just telling you sometimes, hey, be not weary in well-doing. You know why I said that? Because we get weary in well-doing. But I'm glad, hey, listen, when my strength is expired, I'm glad his strength is sufficient. It's sort of like in the Old Testament whenever uh, Elijah came to a widow woman who had only a, a, a handful, just a barrel of meal and a cruise of oil. And she was getting ready to make, there was only a little bit left in both of them. She was getting ready to make the last meal for her and her child before they died by starvation. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said that the barrel of meal will waste not, neither will the cruise of oil fail until the Lord says so. And so the Bible says this, that they would go and they would reach in and grab out a handful of meal. And every time they reached in to grab one, there's always one there. The Bible does not say that the barrel heaped over. The Bible does not say that the cruise of oil overflowed. It just merely says every time they went to get more, there was always more there. This thought occurred to me one day. Sometime, I don't know when, but sometime in that process, her last handful became his first handful. And just every time she went and reached back in, there was always enough. I'm glad He's the rock of my strength. About the time that I get to my last handful, and I've been there a lot of times, I found His hand right there to give me the strength that I need. He's my, he's my song when I'm, uh, when I'm uh, discouraged. He's my strength when I'm depleted. But then notice this, He's my shelter when I'm in danger. He says, my refuge is in God. What does a refuge mean? It's a safe haven. It's not just safety, it's a safe haven. Now, listen, a fort can give you safety, but a refuge gives you a safe haven. What's the difference between the two? Well, a fort will give you protection, but a refuge will give you peace of mind. Hidden, tucked away somewhere. We took a little trip just back of this, went up, stayed in a little cabin on a creek in North Carolina. Somebody asked me, he said, preacher, what's there? I said, nothing. I said, I get it. you know," But I mean, really, what's there? I said, nothing. They said, well, what was there to do? I said, nothing. They said, well, what'd y'all do? I said, nothing. Amen. They said, well, how was your trip? I said, it was incredible. <laughs> incredible. There wasn't nothing, man. No cell phone coverage, no nothing. It was just, it was just a cabin and a creek and 14 turkeys that would move out of the woods on the hillside every day. You could count them. And, uh, one of the things that was nice about being there, and I've learned this throughout the years, I've learned you 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 have to minister to your mind. You have to let the Lord minister to your mind, and it takes a certain measure of just unplugging, away from things. And um, that old episode Andy Griffith taught this to us years ago. I don't know why we didn't listen, but uh, you know sometimes you just you you got to get away. You got to unplug. Hey, listen, he's not just my fort; he's my refuge. Because of him, I don't have to look over my shoulder. Because of him, I don't have to wait for the other shoe to drop. Some of you live in a perpetual state of waiting for that other shoe to drop, and you got shoes laying all around you, <laughs> but you're waiting for the next one to drop. Can I tell you, man, that'll wear on you, you live that way, that'll wear on you instead, here's what you ought to do. you ought to recognize that when you're in danger and you and I we are in danger at all times in our life it's a It's a mean world, but we don't have to live in constant anxiety. you know why because our refuge. Is in God. Let's say it this way: speaking of that refuge, he expands on it in verse number eight. He says, "This trust in him at all times, ye people, pour out your heart before him." God is a refuge for us, say law. Let's just say it that way. In fact, why don't we do that? He's my redeemer, he's my rock, he's my rejoicing, and he's my refuge. I like the three things the psalmist says. Now remember, we ain't, remember what we're preaching. He only, He only, not Him mostly, He only is my rock and my salvation. And so here's what the psalmist says in verse 8. Number one, he says this, He's the hope of my confidence. I like it. Trust in Him at all times. I wish we could tattoo that on the back of our eyelids so that every time that we lay down, we'd have to look at it. Trust in Him at all times. I will tell you this, your homework for the week is that, trust in Him at all times. If you figure that out by next week, I'll give you more. But I got a feeling that that and that alone would be enough for us to focus our energies upon. Not trust in Him at most times. Not trust in Him during the easy times. But trust in Him at all times. By the way, not just trust in Him during the hard times. Also trust in Him in the easy times. Uh, what, what got messed up and broke about our country is not that we quit trusting Him during hard times. It was that we had some easy times. And during those easy times, we quit trusting in Him. Now we've been caught completely flat-footed as chaos has begun to spread through our society. People don't know. They're, they're, they're amoral and a religious in the way that they live their life. And they don't know how to respond to it. But I'm telling you, child of God, don't just trust in Him part of the time. Trust in Him all the time. Make it a practice to trust in Him day by day for everything. You say, preacher, what do I trust? Oh, so you'll start finding stuff. You'll start trusting Him for a parking spot at the grocery store. I, my wife, man, and I don't know why, I don't know why this is an issue with her. Are, are you okay? You got time? Let me just tell you about, let me tell you about some of my issues, alright? I don't know why this is, but, but she has a thing she, she tells me all the time. She reminds me of it. Like I'm some kind of godless infidel. Like I don't believe God. But she always wants to remind me of the fact that every time she goes to the store, she prays for a parking spot at a certain spot close to the buggy return. And I've told her, woman, if you're going to pray for a parking spot, please, please don't pray for a parking spot in the place where people are hurling large metal objects like rockets in the direction of our car. But I guess she trusts the Lord to watch over it. And to this day, praise God, we've never took one right on the, on the fender. So... But she always wants to remind me. Every time she goes out, she'll say, I prayed and I asked God to give me that parking spot before I got down to the Walmart. She knows where, <laughs> she knows where all the parking spots are at the Walmart. And, uh, and God gave it to me. Right? You'll find stuff to trust Him about. You'll trust Him about that routine test. You'll trust Him about that meeting with your boss. Uh, you'll, hey listen, you'll trust Him about those car repairs where somebody slung a buggy into your car at Walmart. You'll learn to trust Him about everything. You've run out of stuff to trust Him for? You need to think again. He's the hope of my confidence. Not only that, I like this. He's the hearer of my complaints. He says, ye people, pour out your hearts before Him. That's a command of Scripture. You listen to me? That's a command of Scripture. Pour out your hearts before Him. Don't hold nothing back. Don't charge Him foolishly. But don't hold nothing back neither. Pour out your hearts before Him. Can I tell you something? I, I I think sometimes God gets sick of polite prayer. And He just wants us to be real and just talk to Him. And I'm glad. You know, part of the reason He's my refuge is because He's the hope of my confidence. I can trust Him day by day, moment by moment. But also because He's the hearer of my complaints. And when I'm struggling, when I'm having a hard time, I can come to Him. I can pour my heart out. And He's a God that listens. Hey, there's times, there's times we don't want to hear people's complaints. There's times we just don't care. But he always cares. He's the hearer of my complaints. And then finally, he echoes it again. He says this, God is a refuge for us. Say law. He's this. He's the helper of my comfort. He knows that I don't just need safety of body. I need peace of mind. God created us. He created you. He created me. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He understands the paramount impact of our frame of mind on our day-to-day life. I think sometimes we look at the frame of mind as incidental to the state of the soul. We think if a person's a Christian, they're always going to have peace of mind. That's not always true. I know too many Christians to believe that. And God understands you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He understands that you need peace of mind. Now you may not realize that he knows that, so you may have not be coming to him for that. But can I encourage you tonight to say he is a refuge and he gives peace of mind to his people. Hey listen, perfect peace have they whose minds are stayed on thee. Listen, I, I, I mean, I'm just telling you, he's everything you need. He might use, and I'm not opposed to this. Hey, listen, I, I, the, He might use medicine. He might use doctors. He might use the encouragement of people around you. He might use any number. He might use people to, to, to alleviate a financial burden. He might use the job He's given you to sustain you day by day. And I'm not dismissive of any of those things. And I, and I don't think we should be dismissive of those things. God can use all of those things. But you need to get it settled in your heart and mind that it's Him and Him alone that can be what you need. And if he chooses to use those avenues, praise him for it and recognize his hand in it. But don't lose sight for one moment that if we have and are anything in this world, it's going to be by him and him alone. He only. He only. Not he mostly. He only. I think we need to get back to that mentality in our hearts and lives. Let's bow together tonight. Musicians are going to come and play. And I invite you to come meet the Lord in the altar. It is so easy to get distracted away from Him only and to begin to cast and put our hope in things in this world. Sometimes we do it well-meaningly. I know that. I don't think most of the time that we're doing it to try to somehow offend or neglect God. But it can it, 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 it can bring us to a place of darkness in our hearts and minds when our minds have become fixed upon this world as being the hope and help and have not looked to Him. I think He's able. I think He's willing. Let's come to Him tonight. Father, I love You. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I pray that You bless this invitation. That magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.